are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. You are on the line with Lance Daw and Noah Gardner on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope you're staying safe out there as the rain continues to fall here in Auburn, Alabama. Going to be talking a lot of Auburn LSU today. For the first time since 1999, the Auburn Tigers went into Baton Rouge and defeated the LSU Tigers. 24-19 to was the final score. If you want to call in and give your thoughts on the game, 334-321-1390 is the number to dial. Noah, how are you doing today? Since 1999. I considered coming on air and instead of just starting the show, do you remember what T-Bob uh, T did whenever LSU won the national championship? Uh, I believe it was ESPN 104.5 in Baton Rouge. He just came on air. He was just screaming like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's almost what I did uh, for the show today. But yeah, for the first time in 22 years, it's been 22 years. I had not seen Auburn win in Baton Rouge in my lifetime. I had never seen it happen. Not once. Tigers got it done on Saturday in dramatic fashion. They were down early. They were down late in the fourth quarter. They were still down 19 to 10, but they found a way to come back and win. Noah, what were your impressions from Auburn's impressive win over LSU this weekend? Outside of the first quarter, Auburn owned Baton Rouge. They owned it. Just go and look at the stats. You break it down, four penalties for Auburn for 40 yards. That is a relatively disciplined performance against the noise. It didn't look like the noise really affected them from a communication standpoint. I didn't get the vibe once that Auburn had issues from a communication standpoint out on the field. They only had four penalties. The noise did not affect them on the road. That's not something you could say about Florida going to Kroger Field in Kentucky. They struggle with the noise. Penalty left and right. Penalty left and right. Auburn didn't have that issue in one of the most difficult places to play. It was a night and day difference from a communication standpoint that we saw in Happy Valley to Death Valley. Go figure. All right, you also look at the statistics. 290 total passing yards for Auburn. On the road in Death Valley, there's one check mark. Rushing, averaged 5.6 yards per carry. Outgained LSU 163 yards on the ground to 11 rush yards for the Bayou Bengals. Now, factor some sacks in there, but if you want to talk about creating a pass rush, Auburn did it. And they did it with three guys at times in the fourth quarter. They only rushed two. Auburn was able to get into that backfield and make some plays. The sacks factor into that total a little bit. But LSU averaged 0.4 yards per carry. This rushing attack was averaging just 2.9 coming into the ballgame. Somehow it got worse. LSU was 6 for 17 on third downs. Auburn was 7 for 16, nearly 50% there on the road. Outgained LSU 453 total yards to 336. Auburn, outside of that first quarter, they owned Baton Rouge. 
it was uh, it was an incredible performance, like you mentioned, after that first quarter. I believe Max Johnson, because of the penalty yards, had 122 yards passing on that first drive, opened the game up uh, on LSU's first offensive series with a 55-yard strike to Kayshawn Boutte. And at that point, I was thinking, okay, Auburn's coming into this situation having lost to Penn State and barely beaten Georgia State. They've got quarterback controversy. Their receivers coach was fired. There's just so much turmoil surrounding this program right now. And they got down 13-0 early. And if you had told just the average Auburn fan that and asked them how they thought the rest of the game would have gone, it was like, oh, it would have been a solid win for LSU. LSU would have gone out there and, and borderline blown Auburn out. But that's not what happened on Saturday. Auburn came out in the second half, and they did something that we've not seen in a while. This was one of my impressions. They made adjustments, specifically on the defensive side of the football. They went out there and they made adjustments. Derek Mason, I know that there are a lot of Auburn fans that are upset with him right now, and I'm not saying he just saved his job because obviously you've got a ton of SEC games right out, out, out of out, uh, in front of you right now, but he went out there and he decided, you know what, like you mentioned, no, we're only going to rush three, we're going to rush two, and we're going to force LSU to try and beat us with their ground game because we know they can't. They can't do it. They can't run the football. I was talking to Patrick Kahn. He's the, uh, he's the editor of LSU Tigers Wire. It's a USA Today website today. And he told me that LSU against Power 5 competition so far this season is averaging less than two yards per carry. And he looked and he pulled it up. 1.8 yards per carry against Power 5 competition so far this season. They just can't run the football. And Auburn was daring them to. They were dropping nine into coverage. They shut down Kayshawn Butte, who had a very good game. But you look in the second half, only two targets, one catch, 10 yards. Auburn was able to hold this passing attack to 90 passing yards in the second half after Max Johnson had 235 in the first, I believe. My math may be wrong there. But Auburn made adjustments, and it was incredibly impressive to see this Auburn team, after being so frustrated with what Auburn was doing on the defensive side of the ball during Penn State, it's very refreshing to see this team realize, okay, here are some things that we could do to change the outcome of this game. And they went out and did it in the second half and they won. Well, eight minutes left in the second quarter. From that moment on, Auburn outscores LSU 24 to six. Auburn gets behind 13 to zero right away. And I have no idea why Auburn is, Auburn has been starting games out slow this year. End of story. I mean, since, since, the first game of the season, I mean, Auburn blew out Akron. They started that game quick, but since the Alabama state game, Auburn has started every single football game off pretty slow. I don't know what it is. And I don't think this is the first time we've seen Derek Mason make adjustments. He did pitch a shutout against Georgia state in the, in the second half last week when his defense gave up, you know, 24 in the first half, you know? So I, I do think that that has changed. I, I don't think that that's something that we haven't seen yet. And I wish people would lay off a little bit on this defense because it's different. This is not the same aggressive style of play that we're accustomed to seeing from an Auburn defense like led by Kevin Steele and Will Muschamp. I mean, just look at the last several defense coordinators that Auburn have had. They're all guys that blitzed a ton, man-to-man coverage, namely just Will Muschamp and um, and Kevin Steele the last two times. But, I mean, those guys make up the larger part of the last decade, you know? And you've got a different scheme coming in here that this team is still picking up, and I think they took a big step forward on Saturday against LSU against one of the better and more effective passing attacks in this league. They defended it pretty well. Now, you'll look at the stat sheet and you'll say, well, Max, Max Johnson had 325 yards passing, but also urge you to look at this, the stat sheet and see that he only had one touchdown, he had one interception, and he was 26 for 46. 
He was barely above 50%. Auburn, for once, was drawing incompletions in a football game, right? It's a different scheme. I think the, I think the team is doing a... I think they're they're getting better on that side of the football. And they did it without some key players. T.D. Moultrie didn't play. Owen Papo didn't play. They were playing shorthanded on the back end. Zion Puckett got hurt throughout the span of the ballgame. They had to make adjustments on the fly in Baton Rouge. And right now, Derek Mason is proving to be one of the, he's, he's proven to be able to do that on a consistent basis this season, which gives me hope that even if Auburn may come in slightly amiss on the game plan at any game this year, they'll be able to make adjustments during the span of the ball game to be able to, to at least stay in it and be competitive. I'm very impressed with the way that the defense played. I think they played lights out. I know the you, you take the first quarter and four minutes out of it, and this defense played out of their minds. And and honestly, you look at that first quarter and four minutes, outside of really that first drive where LSU put the touchdown up, you look at after the first, you know, really six minutes of the ball game, seven minutes of the ball game, they only really gave up six points, you know, in that first half. And and you could blame a lot of that on the offense's shortcomings and the fact that they couldn't move the football. I'm just I'm uber impressed with this defense. I think the offense took a step forward in some ways, but uh, I just want to harp on how well this defense played with some serious adversity levied up against them early on. And something that I thought was going to be a concern heading into this game that was in the Penn State game, I said I thought this would be similar. It wasn't. Auburn was able to get pressure on Max Johnson, and it affected him consistently yeah. especially in that second half and also you talk about injuries you can talk about not being 100 percent. tank bigsby was essentially a non-factor in this game also if you had told auburn fans tank bigsby would not average more than three yards a carry and he would just essentially be non-existent in this game what would auburn fans have said it's like oh LSU found a way to shut Auburn's running game down their passing game didn't develop and, and LSU went out there and won the game but that's not what happened jarquez hunter another impression of mine he continues to 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 lead this backfield when Tank Bixby isn't able to, and he has impressed me so much. Had a 44-yard yard run on that toss to the left side, uh, almost scored on another toss to the left side, and then eventually scored the game-winning touchdown. Averaged 13.3 yards per carry. He currently leads the nation in yards per carry at 10.6, and the kid is a freshman. That is another impression that I had, as I am so impressed with the way that Jarquez Hunter has been playing. And I hope, because I don't think Tank, Big Tank Bixby is uh, going to be 100% this Saturday against Georgia, I hope he's able to continue his streak of good games. Jarquez Hunter on the year, 42 attempts, 447 total yards, three touchdowns, averaging 10.6 yards per carry. A look at Tank Bixby's statistics, 74 attempts, 430 yards, four touchdowns, 5.8 yards per carry. There are people out there whispering on social media about Jarquez Hunter and is he better than Tank Bixby, and I'm not taking that step because I think Tank Bixby's phenomenal and that would be extremely premature, but the statistics do not lie at this point. Jarquez Hunter has been more effective in fewer carries than Tank Bixby at this point this year. There's no, you can't argue with me about that. He has more yards in less carries, 30 less carries. He has more yards and he almost has as many touchdowns. And the only reason why he doesn't have as many touchdowns is because he hasn't gotten those opportunities in the red zone. I mean, Jarquez Hunter has been more effective than Tank Bixby at this point this year. I think you would be very hard pressed. I said this on Friday. I, I don't know of a better running back tandem in all of college football. And, you know, your average Alabama fan, your average SEC fan that's not an Auburn fan will, might say, oh, that's not true. Blah, blah, blah. That's Auburn. It's like, no, 
the, name a better tandem than Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter in college football right now. Your backup running back has more yards than your starting running back, and it's because he's averaging 10.6 yards per carry. And it's not because they're running gadget plays with the guy. He's not running gadget plays. They are giving him actual run in these ball games, and he is not going down at first contact. Jarquez Hunter is phenomenal. And I also said this on Friday, and I think it continues to prove itself to be true. In Auburn history, I think you're looking at, especially with how young these guys are, you've got Tate Bigsby as a sophomore, and he already looks like this. And then you've got Jarquez Hunter as a true freshman, and he already looks like this. Someone please call in. Tell me, is there a better backfield that we've seen at Auburn since Carnell Williams and Ronnie Brown? Compare these two guys against the other backfields, one and two. Tell me, am I too far ahead of myself to to say that? Because these guys, I mean, just try and remember what Carnell and Ronnie looked like as young guys. I don't know if it was this good. Now they developed to be amazing running backs, and I'm not saying that these two are better than Carnell and Ronnie, but I see massive similarities between the backfields of Carnell and Ronnie versus Jarquez and Tank Bigsby comparing Tank to more that of the style of Carnell Williams and Jarquez Hunter to more that of the style of Ronnie Brown. I don't think right now there is a better tandem, and not only in the SEC, but in the entire country. And I think that you can put a lot of praise not only on these players, but I think you also have to put some praise on this coaching staff. And while some people may be disgruntled with the fact that Mike Bobo called a, uh, a fade on fourth and goal, outside of that call, I think he's been pretty solid this season. And he's utilized Tank Bigsby, Jarquez Hunter, and Sean Shivers, all three of Auburn's running backs, to the best of their abilities. You want to talk about this running back room as a whole, not just the tandem that Auburn has? Look at the way Sean Shivers was used on Saturday. Three different times, I believe it might have even been on that last scoring drive, where it was a third down situation and Auburn just checked down, swung it out to the left, and Sean Shivers on that third and 10 inside Auburn's own 15 was able to make a man miss and pick up a first down. This coaching staff knows how to utilize these guys to the best of their ability, and the rushing attack has just been incredibly potent this season. And so moving forward with the way that this offensive line is playing, by the way, Auburn has not allowed a sack against a Power 5 school yet this season. May allow a few uh, this weekend against Georgia. We'll see how that goes. But right now, the offensive line is playing out of their mind, in my opinion. And while there were some pressures on Knicks, he was able to get away from it. And the ground game has been incredibly consistent this season. Uh, They're definitely punching above their weight class. Absolutely. So moving down the line, that's another impression I had. If the offensive line is going to continue to play this well, not only are Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter going to play well, but I think this entire offense is going to benefit from it. And I know that Nick's had a lot of things go his way this weekend, and I know he was able to escape pressure a lot. But still, when Auburn wants to right, if Auburn wants to get into that short passing game, and then they want to let uh, let Nick's play backyard football, like you just said, that's that's the quarterback he is at this point. That's who he is as a player. If he's going to play like that, that's the way he's going to play. But well, I want to add something real quick Go ahead. before we get off of Knicks. I want to say this. You and I both said that who we wanted to start was TJ Finley. I'll say I was wrong 100%. I have no problems with saying I was wrong. And, um, you know, am I ready to say 100% that Bo Nix is, you know what I mean? Am I ready to get to that point? No, I mean, you got to see consistency from the quarterback if Auburn's going to be successful down the line. But I'm very happy for Bo Nix. This is awesome. You know, you, you see the the shot of Patrick Nix in the stands at the end of the ball game, and you can see he's choked up a little bit for his son and what this meant to him throughout this week. And and you, since that he gets when he goes on the radio, you know what I mean, Bo Nix that is, and 
and the you know the people that you know what people have been saying on the radio all week you know i uh i'm happy for the kid i really am i mean this is uh you know god is good and i'm happy for the kid i hope that this saturday he's able to go out there and continue to impress because i've not i don't pull against any player as a person not not typically uh, I, I want to see these kids succeed, specifically at Auburn. I want to see any guy on roster succeed. I'm not hating on them personally. And for Bo Nix to go out there and do what he did through all of this adversity uh, is has been phenomenal. And, again, I hope he's able to do some similar things on Saturday. I think he has the potential to. So, yeah, moving down the line, Bo Nix is QB number one. On the other side of this break, we are going to continue to recap Auburn's win over LSU. Back on On the Line, Lance Dahl, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Some fantastic college football this weekend, and we're going to get into it later on in the show. We're going to continue to break down Auburn versus LSU. But first, Noah, there was some fantastic high school football over the weekend as well. You bet it, man. And Opelika made a big statement against Russell County this past Friday night, which brings us to this week's Point Broadband High School Player of the Week, and it's Opelika High School's Caden Cooper. The junior running back exploded for 133 yards on just 17 carries, averaging 7.8 yards per carry in Opelika's 52-35 win over Russell County. He added an additional 86 yards on two kickoff returns. The Bulldogs advanced to 4-3 and three overall and 4-0 and oh in the region with a huge region game against Robert E. Lee coming up this Friday. Caden Cooper, your Point Broadband High School Player of the Week. Point Broadband, smarter, faster, fiber internet. Point-broadband.com. And I just got to say about this Caden Cooper kid, he had 37 carries in a ball game a couple of weeks ago. One game, 37 carries. He's a junior. Man, that that isn't, that isn't a high school kid. That's a man. This kid's good. That's Derrick Henry caliber uh, uh, carries right there, especially even in high school. Derrick Henry had 37 carries in a game before? Do what? Has 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 Derrick Henry had 37 in a game before? I want to say say he's gotten close. I want to say he normally hits around there, or he did in college. But that's really impressive from a high school junior to be putting out that uh, that, that many carries. He's a good player, and this isn't his first, you know, three touchdown ball game this season either. I mean, he, I, I think it's safe to say when you look at what Opelika does on offense, it's all about that ground game. And Caden Cooper is the bell cow running back, and he is doing some great things for that program. They're four and three right now, undefeated in the region. They beat if they beat Lee Montgomery this upcoming Friday night. Lee Montgomery right now three and one in the region as well. If they beat Robert E. Lee. That's all but wrapped it up. Officially, they won't have won the region championship yet. It will be win the next game. They, they, they win their next game out of that. I believe they play Valley the next week. So, yeah, if they win their next two games, they clinch. And uh, right now, Opelika is looking like the best team in the region. And um, a big part of that, I mean, they challenge themselves. It's like Callaway. They play Auburn. They play Central in their non-region. Uh, let me just break this down for you. Callaway won a Georgia State Championship last year. Auburn made it to the state championship for all intents and purposes. They won it last year. And then central is just two years removed from winning a state championship. It looks like they could be well on their way to doing it again. Um, Opelika's got a, a very good football team. Don't let the record deceive you at four and three. 
I want to get back to this Auburn LSU conversation and some of the impressions that we had in Auburn's win first time in 22 years that Auburn has won in Baton Rouge. I wanted to talk about this passing game for a little bit and the way that these receivers played on Saturday. There was a lot of uh, there was a there, there there were a lot of different instances where Auburn receivers or tight ends were either just simply running free or on a one-on-one matchup, Kobe Hudson was able to go up and get it. Demetrius Robertson on fourth down and short uh, on a bonex scramble was able to go up and get some passes. I mean, it just seemed like there was a lot of aggression from this uh, from this uh, receiver room, and I loved what I saw. I mean, Eric Keysaw, if that's what it took for this receiver room to get over to the hump and to continue to progress uh, on the offensive side of the football. I'm all for it because what I saw on Saturday was really impressive. And I know LSU secondary is not the best uh, in the nation. Certainly not. And, and, and they didn't have Derek Stingley as well, so that's an issue. But you look at this receiver room right now, and you look at the way the guys were playing on Saturday, you add in the fact that tight ends at Auburn are historically having probably the best season ever. This passing attack will continue to develop, and I know Auburn doesn't necessarily have that deep threat. I know Demetrius Robertson's got speed, but we've not seen uh, Knicks connect with him on like a really deep pass yet, like on, on just a shot play. We saw it. We, we saw a 34 yarder. I believe it was against uh, Alabama State. But outside of that, we've not seen a whole lot, right? I look at this receiver room, and I want to see I want to see Auburn kind of stretch the field a little bit more. But right now, the way the receivers are playing, I'm very happy with it. Now, down the line, obviously, like I said, against teams like Georgia and Alabama and even Texas A&M, because they still have a good defense, Auburn is going to still have to continue to work out the kinks. But that was one of my impressions on Saturday was the receiver room was just playing out of its mind. At least it felt like. You look at this defense, though, and I want to go back to the defensive line. It's been, it's been what I thought was a concern, at least whenever you, you, there, you, you have to factor in stats and you have to factor in the eye test whenever you're looking at a team. And you look at Auburn's eye test and you look at their ability to get pressure on teams so far this season. And up until this LSU game, it didn't really feel like Auburn was able to, to accomplish that, at least consistently. Now, I know they did it in the Georgia State game in the second half, but that Penn State game really, I think, is kind of marinating and a lot of Auburn fans' minds, at least heading into this matchup this past weekend. And I sat there and I was going, okay, LSU's offensive line may not be good, but they're definitely going to be able to hold up because Penn, State, Penn State's offensive line wasn't very good, and, uh, and Auburn wasn't able to get any pressure whatsoever. And I'm looking at this, uh, the, this Georgia game as maybe a true, as a true test to see if Auburn can really get pressure on, on a- actual SEC opponents, but... Auburn getting three sacks, three tackles for loss. They were putting pressure on Max Johnson consistently. They were out there winning the line of scrimmage. And they weren't rushing a lot of people often. And that's really good to see. Auburn's defensive line, I believe, last week, or I think they still might be, was the highest-graded defensive line, according to Pro Football Focus, in all of college football, not just for the week, but for the year. And moving down the line, if Auburn's able to stop the run that the, the way that they have this season... They're able to get after the quarterback. They can't leave that secondary out to dry. I think they're going to be winning a lot of football games. So that was another impression that I had. Another impression that I had was Anders Carlson. You know, he, he, met, he was one of three, and uh, that third field goal was blocked. You look at that, you look at the, the way that the uh, special teams was playing, 
And if you have one of those field goals back in certain scenarios in that game, it becomes really difficult for, for LSU to get back in it because it's either tied or Auburn's winning. If they just have one of those two field goals that was either missed or blocked from Anders. And I think if you see one of those field goals made, you're looking in the third or fourth quarter, and I think Auburn already has the lead and is taking control of that game. And by the time it gets to the fourth quarter, halfway through it, it's over. Auburn's winning by 10 or 14 points. So, yeah, the field goals made a made a big difference in this game. I was thinking when it was 19 to 17, I was like, I'm really upset that at least one of those didn't go through the uprights because if you score that touchdown that last drive that Auburn scored, now all of a sudden you're up by eight and LSU's just driving for a, a hope to tie, you know? And so the the field goals made a big difference in this ball game between these two teams. Um, but you also got to give credit to LSU for getting back there and blocking it. And then the other one, I mean, I it was 50-plus yards. Right now, Anders Carlson is money within 50, outside of 50 in his career. Yeah, it, it makes me uncomfortable. But, um, you know, that's just 50-plus yarders are tough. They really are. Yeah, and also you look at the way that the rest of the special teams played. I mean, Oster, Oscar Chapman wasn't bad. You saw Auburn limit what LSU was able to do in the kick return game. Trey Palmer was not a factor. Joko Willis had a massive hit uh, in, in that game. Fantastic. His two tackles that I've seen from him this season have just been incredibly aggressive, hard hits. Violent. And it, whenever I see that 33, I'm like, that's KJ Britt. But no, it's Joko Willis, baby. And I'm really excited to see what that kid's able to do moving down the line. But yeah, just overall, the special teams, I think I think the play was solid. And that's something that we talked about a little bit going into this game. Is like, you know, this could be a really huge factor. Auburn's blocked a few kicks and punts this, uh, this season. LSU was able to do it in this game. But had Auburn gotten one of those field goals, again, like I said earlier, I feel like Auburn could have run away with this game. The way that LSU's offense was playing, the way that, that Auburn's defense was flying around, making tackles, dropping guys into coverage, I think Auburn could have potentially, had they gotten that six points or three of those points, could have potentially been 12 to 14 points in that fourth quarter. Yeah, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say maybe that it was solid. I thought they punted really well. I think Oscar Chapman continues to impress me on a game-to-game basis. I mean, this is he's a solid punter, and that's an area that I think Auburn struggled in over the last couple of years. But the missed field goals are a downer for me because Anders Carlson's been a little inconsistent this year in multiple football games. I mean, he missed one last week. He missed one earlier in the season, missed an extra point. So he's been a little up and down this year. But once again, granted, those were 50-plus yarders, so I'm nitpicking here. And within 50, once again, I go back to he's borderline automatic, uh, but he may have already lost the the Groza this year due to multiple missed field goals and then missing an extra point. I mean, I, I don't know how you recover from that. He didn't even win it last year, and he was 20 for 22. Uh, and then the Donovan Kaufman thing irritated me as well, where he almost walked out of the end zone with a football. So I don't know if I'd say it was, a, it was awesome, but uh, it was fine. <laughs> It was enough to get the job done. The rest of the team was able to get it done. On the other side of this break, we've got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports to Talk, Alabama Ole Miss. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Lance Daw, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. If you want to call in and give your thoughts on what happened in the SEC over the weekend, 334-321-1390 is the number to dial. Would love to hear your thoughts on Auburn's first win in Baton Rouge since 1999. We've got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports, though, on to talk about 
Alabama's win over Ole Miss, 42-21, to the final score. And, Jeremy, this was a game that we were all sitting here saying this could be competitive, this could be tough, but the Tide, it was clear they were running away with it early. It's time to get off of Pete Golding. I just think he proved his worth uh, Saturday going up against Lane Kiffin, everybody, Chris Doring, some guys on college game day saying that Lane Kiffin's going to do what he wants to against this Alabama defense, and this Alabama defense was ready to go. You're going to give up points, or you're supposed to give up points when you play Ole Miss, the number one scoring offense in the country, now the number two, I believe, scoring offense in the country after Saturday. Um, Alabama um, is the number one scoring offense now in the SEC. I, Alabama did what it wanted to. It took it took the ball out of Matt Corral's hands. Lane Kiffin uh, knew that he couldn't kick field goals in this game because he knew his defense wasn't good enough to stop Bryce Young. Guys, this was a 35-0 ball game. Alabama scored five touchdowns on his first six possessions. Alabama, go back to last year. They had 16 of, of their last 16 possessions after they got the th- to the 35-point mark. They had scored 15 touchdowns on Ole Miss in the last 16 possessions they played against Ole Miss. Come on. Pete Golding did what he had to do. The Alabama defense was ready to go. Bryce Young looked phenomenal. Got sacked a little bit, hurt his numbers in the fourth quarter, but the guy played lights out, managed the game. And uh, if you're going to play with three guys on the defensive line, you're not going to beat Alabama. The same thing that happened to Arkansas. And, um, you know, it, and the same thing worked out well for Auburn. They were playing a team they couldn't, that couldn't, can't run the ball on anybody. And Auburn finally, after the first quarter, said, we're just going to make them throw it on us, and they couldn't. I mean, kudos to Derek Mason and Brian Harson for their game plan against LSU, the same way that Kirby Smart – and Nick Saban had a game plan to play these overrated teams they were playing this weekend and put them away. You look at this Ole Miss game, right, and I think you hit the nail on the head as far as Lane Kiffin. I know that some people out there were a little upset with the fourth down calls early, and look, that's just a sign that Lane Kiffin knew that he was not going to be able to stop Alabama's offense. Alabama was either going to score in like two and a half minutes or they were going to score in six. Either way, he was delaying the inevitable, and so the risk-reward factor in going for it, especially early in those situations, I think Lane Kiffin looked at it. I was like, "Yeah, absolutely. This is a risk we're willing to take to get into this game." And uh, he wasn't able to come away with it. Now, looking though at the SEC West with Bryce Young leading this Alabama team, it kind of feels like, you know, in in a, in a year where there has been so much turmoil in college football. It kind of feels right now we're starting to get the, the picture is, is being painted and it looks like Alabama and Georgia are the two teams on the top right now. Would you agree with that statement? Well, I mean, they're one and two in the country. I mean, I would, but yeah, I see what you're saying. And it's taken this Alabama offensive line some time to jail. A lot of people, including myself, were crazy enough to think that they're going to lose all those first round draft picks and Leatherwood and Dickerson and everything and Deontay Brown and everything was going to be fine up front. Man, it takes a while. And Alabama, um, they're starting to get a little bit better. Um, you know, Nick Saban said after the game that if they, if that's what they're going to show us, this is what we are going to have to do. He doesn't want to play like that every week. But if he didn't have to give Matt Corral the football back, why would you? And going back to Lane Kiffin on fourth downs, I don't blame Lane Kiffin for doing it. He knew he had an inferior football team. He knew his quarterback was the second best quarterback on the field. He knew that his receivers and running backs were 
probably the the fourth or fifth best running backs that could have been on the field. And his receivers, I don't think any of them could start for Alabama. And um, Slade Bolden was more effective than Ole Miss's top guys. I mean, he had an inferior football team. He had to take some chances early. It backfired, and he put all his eggs in one basket. And, and Lane Kiffin got what Lane Kiffin deserved. That's Lane Kiffin got what he deserved on Saturday. The guy, I, he, he, the guy who wants all the attention, and now on Monday we're talking about Lane Kiffin and how stupid he was to throw the headset before the game, get your popcorn ready like your Randy Moss or whoever said that in the NFL – Dude, you're you're a you're a, a really you're a good coach, and that's about it. Not a great coach. You'll never be an elite coach. And he got humbled Saturday in Brian Denny. Woo! <laughs> Wait, why would you do? Would you do that, Noah? No, ja- Jamie Earl's asking him an honest question. He just takes yeah. the headset. He doesn't even answer, it. and he just throws yeah. it. And then you get there's a 35-0 ball game. Yeah, and, like yeah. It's not, it wasn't close. And that's what I'm saying, right, about Alabama and Georgia. Is like, obviously, right now they're at the top of college football. I'm saying down the line, it doesn't look like anybody's going to stop them on the path to the college football You're gonna, playoff. You'll find right? out about Auburn. I'm not, I'm not counting Auburn out. I picked Auburn to win Saturday, 23-20. to 20, And, yeah, I was really close on the score. I had a five-point differential instead of a three. You're going to find a lot about out about Georgia this weekend when they go on the road in a tough environment. And, um, and how they play against a team, an Auburn team that has some confidence. We're going to find a lot out about both of those teams for sure. Yeah, I think but, we know a lot more about Alabama at this point than we know about Georgia. And I, I still don't think that we know a ton about Ole Miss at this point. We after, don't. And, and, you know, the, there's still a lot of information gathering at this point, and that's awesome because we're going into week six, you know, and, and I, think Alabama, I think Alabama is separating themselves. They've played Miami. They've played Florida. They've played Ole Miss. They've beaten three ranked teams up to this Florida point. Florida just blew it Saturday. Sure. And I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's a foregone conclusion that Alabama is going to win the whole thing. I don't think that that's true one bit because Alabama does have, and me and you have talked about this, Jeremy, and you were just watching the replay in your office earlier today, and I heard you grumbling about Bryce Young taking sacks and late the ball game. Sure, but still, you know that there are still potentially fatal flaws for this Alabama team. We just don't know what the fatal flaws are yet for this Georgia team because they haven't played anybody of substance. Clemson, don't don't even come at me with that. That's a good defense, and Georgia only scored three points against it. That's not acceptable. I am not sold on Georgia being this dynamic offensive yeah. team. They scored defense is legit. They no. scored twenty one points in the first quarter, and maybe they knew their defense was good enough to get on cruise control. Let's not let Stetson Bennett make any mistakes. After they're up 21-0, that's the game plan I would have had. I think you would have done the same thing. Let's just run the ball, and can this Arkansas team score 21 on us? Well, you know the answer to that in three oh, quarters. You can't line up and play football right, They with can't Georgia. line up, and they can't play. So that Georgia defense is going to cause everybody problems. However, they still haven't faced. I don't think they faced a top 75 offense in America. And Part of that is due to because your numbers go way down after you face Georgia and you're digging yourself out of a hole, kind of like Auburn's numbers started out way high. And they've kind of crept back down a little bit to the 40 points per game mark. But, you know, Georgia is legit. They will win the West, in the, the East. Nobody will beat them in the East. They're going to go undefeated here in the regular season. And um, it's who can beat them from the West. And right now it looks like it's, it's either Alabama or Auburn going to Atlanta because Alabama's not losing two. And the only team left on Alabama's schedule that can beat them is going to be Auburn. And if that game was in Tuscaloosa, it wouldn't be Auburn. So there's only one team left on Alabama's schedule that can win, that could beat them. 
Here's what I'm saying about Georgia, though, and here's what I think separates them and why I think even if they lose in the SEC championship, the way college football is going right now, we may still see two teams, SEC teams in the playoff. The way that I, that I perceive Georgia is in this Arkansas game, you were able to go out there with your backup quarterback, kind of yawned about it, right? It was like, oh, we're at, without JT Daniels. It's whatever. We're going to go out there, and we're just going to run the football. They uh, Georgia is just simply more talented, specifically in the trenches, and they were able to go out there and out-physical and out-talent an Arkansas team that their brand of football is just being physical and running the football. Georgia was able to pull an Arkansas and do it right back to them. What separates Georgia from some of these other teams, and like you mentioned, Jeremy, I, I think Georgia wins the, wins the East right now, but some of these other teams in the East, like Florida, look, whenever you're in a situation against a team like Kentucky and you're out there either struggling or... Or the game has has begun, right? You from the get go, if you're if you're the better team, you should be able to just simply say, "We're going to go out there, we're going to go out athlete you. We're just going to simply have more talent, and we're just going to run away with the game late." The good teams do that. Florida didn't do that this weekend. Georgia consistently so far this year has just been able to out talent teams, and I know Clemson's not that great. And I think we're going to see moving down the line, they just will do it to everyone up until that point in the SEC championship game. And I think that's going to be a fun matchup. I, I don't, I, I honestly, I don't know who, who wins that game because Georgia's defense has just been so phenomenal. But my point being is that right now, I think these two teams get to Atlanta. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of things between that that happen. And I know that there's a lot of information to gather. But right now, these two teams in Alabama and Georgia, I just simply think are, are the best that college football has to offer, and it's not even close. That's true. I mean, I, I think that both of these teams are the best that college football has to offer at the moment, but I'm not ruling out the possibility that other teams get to that point by the end of the year. And then, because I'm not ready to give the crown to Georgia and Alabama at this point. I'm just not. Jeremy? Uh, one of those two teams will win the national championship. So? Uh, it's one of those. What is Penn State going to line up against Alabama or Georgia and beat them? No. Is Michigan going to do it? No. We've already seen all these other schools lose. And going back to Florida and Kentucky, this is what me and Noah have been talking about a long time. Is you know Mark Stoops? These are games that he he wins, and and Florida's done obviously. So you know, look at it this way though, and I want to go back to 2014 Alabama. You know this. I mean, Alabama went into it as the number one team in the country and lost in the semifinals. And granted, the quarterback situation is vastly different here. Bryce Young is a lot better quarterback than Blake Sims, converted running back, you know, like I, I get that. But what I'm trying to draw out here is while, yes, comparatively speaking, Alabama and Georgia are leaps and bounds ahead of everyone else in college football at this point, college football stinks right now. It's a bad, it's a bad quarterback year. I mean, there are no quarterbacks in college football. We were talking about this earlier. Who do you draft? So what happens, though, when some of these teams do improve by the end of the year? Because I think you and I would both agree Alabama's got fatal flaws. And I think Georgia's probably got some fatal flaws that we don't know yet. Well, I, I don't I don't know what Alabama's fatal flaw is because O-line play. Uh, do they, a defense that can do, give they, up yards. They ran the ball 52 times Saturday. And they told you where they were running it. You also Ole did Miss it against couldn't. Ole Miss, a paper machine. No, but defense. I'm telling you that 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 some point Ole Miss could have tried to step up and stop the run. You know why they couldn't? Because Bryce Young's going to pick you apart if you do. Alabama's defense is not a fatal flaw. They had a bad final three quarters against Florida, against a mobile quarterback when you really weren't sure the offense he was going to run. But that was the best offense in college. That's the best offense Alabama will see the rest of the year. And it it. 
the, it was a it was a shutout. It was thirty five to zero, and the ball game was over with ten minutes to go in the third quarter. Alabama, Georgia, the two best teams in America. Cincinnati ain't winning this thing. Who's four? Penn State. Penn State or yes. Iowa? State is four. Yeah. Okay. Come on, y'all. The Pac twelve's out of it. Oklahoma's a joke. Uh, just nobody else is one of these two teams. And I'm saying Alabama may not win the West. They may not be the one. That means Georgia's going to win it. I'm looking at though the rest of college football, and I will say, you know, while while it's not been a good year for a lot of different programs, I feel like just having all these different upsets and stuff. There were nine AP top twenty-five teams that lost on Saturday. Way nine. more fun. It's, it's fun. It's fun, absolutely. But at the end of the day, I think when you start to look down the road, you're going to see the two best teams in America and Georgia and Alabama face off in some capacity for, for a national championship, right? It's just the way that I perceive it, but well, everything that happens between then, I think is going to be a lot of fun. And it gives so Alabama and, and Georgia have room for margin. Now all the other teams have lost. If everybody already thinks these are the best two teams and they lose one what game, they're still going to be in the playoff. I mean, all the fun for everybody else and everybody saying this is a really good year. That's not stopping Alabama, Georgia and Oklahoma making the college football playoff again. All these other teams needed to win, and Alabama, Georgia, and Oklahoma needed to lose. So it's just been a fun year. It was a fun weekend, for sure. It was eyes on the TVs from morning time to whenever Auburn and LSU ended at about 11 o'clock. And I think for the rest of the year, again, I think we're going to see a lot of really fun matchups, a lot of good upsets. And and I, I, while I agree with Noah in that college football, the product on the field right now is not as polished as what we've seen in years past. To see all these different upsets and stuff like that, it's entertaining, and I'm looking forward. I'm not discounting the season. I'm saying, oh, it's already over. Give Alabama or Georgia the national championship because there's a lot of college football to be played and I still think it's going to be very entertaining. On the other side of this break, we wrap up our number one of the show. Wrapping up our number one of On the Line, Lance Dahl, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Skipping along right here with Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports. Again, if you've got any thoughts on the Auburn LSU game, call in 334-321-1390 or text us at 334-564-1840. Noah, did not get a chance to hear your thoughts on the Alabama Ole Miss game. Overarching thoughts from that uh, that blowout win for the Crimson Tide. I don't think Ole Miss is as good as everybody propped them up to be going into the ball game and I was talking about that last week when we had Jeremy on because Jeremy said something along the lines of just go ahead and crown them the national champions if they beat Ole Miss and I was like I don't know why that's a prerequisite for you to beat Ole Miss to do that I'm just messing with you my man but seriously though who's what's Ole Miss done this year okay they beat Louisville 43 to 24 whoop-de-doo uh Louisville's not very good you beat Tulane by scoring 63 on them good you should have and you beat Austin P. who so my thing is you you have you have beaten three teams that do not possess defense. Like that is not in their vocabulary, at least not against an SEC team. They did exactly what they should have done through three games. They play Alabama and they did not look good at all. My question to everybody right now, and Ole Miss may be better than last year, but my question to everybody is, do you know if Ole Miss is better than they were last season? a team that only beat bad teams, and when they did win, they threw up a ton of points. But when they lost, 
it was like it was all on fire on the defensive side of the football, right? Do we know that this Ole Miss team is any different than last year based on the results we've seen this year? In fact, we do not. No, listen, they're not. I don't think they're, they're – they might not be as good as they were last year. But the pundits told me that they were winning this game. Chris Dobring had to do a 20-minute – They were wrong. Chris Dobring had to do a 20-minute apology on SEC final about how wrong he was. I mean, just stop doubting Alabama. Stop doubting Nick Saban. Stop doubting Pete Golding. Um, you know, and the rest – I'll continue to doubt Alabama all I want, but Ole Miss is but, not that good. <laughs> I just don't know why you want to doubt it. We talk about this – we we talk off the air, and you always have questions like, is Alabama this or is Alabama that? But then you come into my office and tell me that, yo, Bo Nix is playing better. He is playing better. Uh, he completed 50% of his capacities. I mean, you can't, wa- you can't tell me that what you watched Saturday night wasn't better than the Georgia State. Well, I mean, you're talking about Florida ceiling. Was it better than what we saw in the Alabama State and the Akron games, too? And also versus what he has played in the past on the road. Bo Nix played uncategorically like like that that like you don't even have to compare it to something else like he played better i'm not saying he didn't play better but you can't he he still you just said that he didn't play better (laughs) he he still completed 50 percent of his passes under six yards per attempt i mean let's let's i i just wish that you would celebrate the auburn wins without getting super amped up that's all i'm not no i said in the opening segment of the show you just asked me you a, just asked me in the break what happens when auburn beats georgia i this did weekend. ask that everybody you out there what asked happens me in the break and you do, do you know what you responded with yeah, i'd be scared of auburn after <laughs> exactly that, but you literally just said but you didn't ask like well can auburn you said what happens when auburn beats i've also georgia? said earlier today that auburn's not going to beat georgia you just asked me so like, i did ask that, i said it? what happens if they do that and uh, I didn't say when. I think I said if, but at least that's what I meant. But uh, you should, folks, should be excited. You know what they I'm disappointed be. in? You know what I'm disappointed in, guys? I'm disappointed that we haven't had one caller yet tell us how excited they are that Auburn just won for the first time in 22 years in Baton Rouge. And that shouldn't be overlooked. So you got some guys got to call back in and say, you know, where we said Bo Nix was done, just give him his credit for this win. But we also don't have to make that equal that one does not have to equal the other in this situation. Bo Nix beating the maybe one of the worst LSU teams in Baton Rouge that Auburn has faced since 1999 does not equal Auburn beating Georgia Saturday. No, I'm, I'm not saying that. Okay. I'm not saying well, that. Just as long as we've I'm not saying that, but I do think Auburn's going to cover this weekend. Lines opened up at 14 and a half on ESPN. I think they can cover dot that. Com, and it's 14 and a half. I think Auburn covers it. I think they can. I think it's going to be a competitive game. 100%. We always ask this question, is where do the points, in today's world, we always say, where do the points come from? We Remember last year, we used to, when teams were playing Alabama, well, how are they going to score more points? How, I'm just trying to figure out how Georgia, where, where does Auburn get their points in this one? The fact that they're playing at home helps. I think that's well, I think good that, for like 10 points well, right seven. there. <laughs> to me, it's always been seven. So they have seven there. So where do they get the other seven and a half they, may, they might need? And we've seen it happen before. We've seen it, especially in... I just want to bring up history, okay? Auburn beat Georgia, or or lost to Georgia in 19, beat Georgia in 17, lost to them in 15, and beat them in 13. Last four times, they're 2-2 and against Georgia at home, and the two losses, they were close. They were one-score ballgames. Auburn plays well against Georgia at home. May not have won in Athens in a very long time, too. That's a streak that needs to break next year, but... I'm just saying, Auburn plays well at home against Georgia. Auburn plays this well is, at home against this, everybody. This 14 and a half point line is disrespect. I don't, man. They were just favored by how much this weekend against a top 10 team. 
I think I, I, I think if JT Daniels is playing this game, I think that 14 and a half point line is deserving. If JT Daniels is not playing this game and Stetson Bennett is uh, is in the ball game, and we've seen how Auburn's been able to stop the run this season, if they even do it halfway what they've been able to do this season, I think we see uh, I think we see that 14 and a half point line go down a little bit. And uh, I, I think Auburn, if Stetson Bennett plays, they they have an opportunity to cover in this game. That's going to do it for our number one of On the Line. On the other side of this break, we got our Making Headlines segment. Stick with us. Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Our number two of On the Line, Lance Daw, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Really appreciate Jeremy Law taking the time to stop by and talk a little Alabama Ole Miss, talk a little SEC football, talk uh, whether or not Auburn's going to be able to beat Georgia this weekend. Some really fun conversation there to end our number one. And if you missed any of it, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. It's going to be up at about 430 Today, want to get to our making headlines segment here in hour number two. Got some interesting headlines for you here at the top. Alabama's Brian Robinson won Offensive Player of the Week in the SEC, and Will Anderson Jr. earned Defensive Player of the Week in the SEC. Both uh, players there got honors for the win over Ole Miss. Yeah, you look at Brian Robinson. He had 36 carries for 171 yards, 4.8 yards per carry, four touchdowns. Uh, They gave it to him, and they went, and I go back to how I talked about Ole Miss in the previous segment. It's like, I don't know if this team's as good as they were last year or or, or improved from where they were at last year. They could still be in the same ballpark. They just got the benefit of getting to play their cupcakes, right, and not a 10-game SEC schedule. It kind of makes you think, oh, these guys got better. It was a self-fulfilling narrative almost with the way that people were projecting them out to be this year. And, and Brian Robinson ran all over them. The fact that Alabama ran one dude 36 times and Ole Miss couldn't stop it, that tells you a little bit of what you need to know about this defense. And then you also look at Will Anderson's night. He had nine tackles, four of which were so low, one sack, two and a half tackles for loss. He got in on the action there. Um, you know, all, all in all, Alabama had a really complete performance. Second half doesn't really tell you that. Doesn't really tell you the the whole the score doesn't really tell you the whole story about how dominant Alabama was in that first half. And that's kind of been the story for a lot of Alabama games up to this point is they'll destroy you in the first half, aside from that Florida game. So really I should just say the Miami and the Ole Miss games, they destroy those teams in the first half and then just kind of let off a little bit. And uh if you listen to some of the stuff that Nick Saban has said. After that Miami game, as well as the Mercer game and and the Southern Miss game and the Ole Miss game, you hear what he says. He's just like, we're just not finishing. And, um, you know, they haven't played somebody yet that can beat them. And I look at the schedule up and down for Alabama and the two teams that I think are capable of doing it 
Well, I really only think one team's capable of doing it, and that's Auburn at the very end. But, you know, Auburn did just beat LSU, and they only did it by winning by five. I'm not trying to pump the brakes here or anything on, on the Auburn hype train that I've got going here in my mind right now. But, you know, I mean, Auburn still has a lot of improving to do to be able to pull that upset. And there's a lot of time to do it, and I think we are seeing Auburn improve. on a, uh, At least I think we saw them improve this past week in pretty much every facet of the game. But they play Arkansas and, Al- and Auburn for their last two games of the season. And it's like up until then, I mean, finishing is not going to be an issue for Alabama. You know, they should be up by four scores at halftime against every team that they play from here on. And I, I definitely think the momentum is on their side. And like you just mentioned, the schedule definitely sets up well for them to uh, play what are arguably their two most difficult opponents at the end of the season. Also want to note that uh, Auburn uh, had two players earn SEC Player of the Week honors as well. Bo Nix earned Co-Offensive Player of the Week, and uh, Jarquez Hunter, I believe, earned Co-Freshman of the Week after their two uh, impressive performances against LSU. We talked on the show on Friday, and I mentioned that each week we've seen something different added to the Auburn offense. This week was no different. The pitch played to Jarquez Hunter, they showed that in the first half. Jarquez Hunter got tripped up. Someone just stuck a hand out and was able to trip him up. Had that not happened, that thing may have gone to the house. You see them go back to it on one of the final drives, the one to it, that ended up putting Auburn out in front. They go to that same pitch play to Jarquez Hunter, the misdirection pitch play, where it kind of looks like it could be a handoff. Honestly, it just looks like the ball teleports. I, I I really don't know what's happening there, but the ball ends up in the hands of Jarquez Hunter. He ends up taking off down the sideline. That time they weren't able to get him with the shoestring tackle. And every single player on that play is headed towards the right side of the is headed towards the right side of the formation where it's the plays moving to the left with the pitch to Jarquez Hunter, and then he he is gone. And just that was another wrinkle added to this offense that, albeit it has struggled the last couple of weeks, last three weeks, I should say now, last three games it has struggled to score. It has. There's no, there's no, no way of getting around that. But I'm encouraged by the fact that they are adding new wrinkles to it and that it's not the same stinking plays every week like we saw with the previous coaching staff. So I'm encouraged by the fact that they're adding new things every week, that it looks like they're you know, continuing to flesh out this offensive scheme. And I think that's something else that we have to consider is these players on offense, just like the players on defense, they're learning an, a, an entirely new scheme on both sides of the football. And with that, it's going to come a learning curve. And I think the offense is doing a fairly good job at this point. You know, aside from the disaster that was the Georgia State game, I think the offense is doing a fairly good job of picking it up with all of these different concepts that they really haven't seen before. Um, I'll also add to this, going to Bo Nix now with his uh, stat lines, and I'll go over both of these stat lines that was able to earn these guys SEC honors. Bo Nix was 23 for 44, 255 yards, one touchdown, no picks. 78.6 78.6 quarterback rating. Jarquez Hunter had six carries for 65 yards, 10.8 yards per carry and a touchdown. I want to say this about Bo Nix. I am just about fully persuaded that receivers are the problem in Auburn's passing game now. I think we've got enough information to know, and I think the receivers played better this week for Auburn, but you could still see areas in the ball game like a wide open Kobe Hudson on a slant route where nobody's within five yards of them absolutely pl- placed perfectly just drops it I don't know how that happens but still just drops it and then an- another similar play Kobe Hudson also involved in this and I'm not harping on Kobe Hudson but because I still think he's very good and he's he's coming along but 
he there there's slight differences in route running. There was a little bit of a dig route concept that was you know 15 yards downfield. Bo Nix throws it on the other shoulder as opposed to where um, Kobe Hudson was running to, and they're asking all the broadcasts, you're like, is that a quarterback issue or is that a receiver issue? And considering that it's a reoccurring issue, I think in the fact that the receivers coach was uh, was fired last week, I am kind of on the – I'm now very much so on the side of things that these receivers are the problem at this point. Bo Nix let a 13-point come from behind SEC road win for the first time since uh, Auburn beat Alabama in 2010. Uh, when Auburn was down 24 points in that game, and and like you just said, I think uh, I think he played pretty well as a quarterback. Now, now moving forward, if Bo Nix has a bad game, I don't think people are going to be shocked, and I don't want them to be shocked because I think this is just who he is as a player. Right? He's going to have his ups and downs. He's going to play Johnny Manziel esque football every now and then, and then occasionally he's going to have the game where just the the receivers aren't clicking, the passes aren't going his way. It's just not going to be his night. That's going to happen at some point this season if he remains to be the starter, which I believe he will after seeing his performance uh, this this weekend. And also, I do want to point out, and I don't want to take away from what Nick's did because he is a gifted athlete. He is incredibly talented. But you are not going to evade pressure the way that he did every single game for the rest of the season. You're probably not going to do it this weekend against Georgia, and you're not going to do it at the end of the year against Alabama. Again, I'm not taking away from what he did. I'm just saying, moving down the line, I don't think we can we can start to expect a, a top three SEC quarterback level of play out of him. We're not going to get magic like he had in Baton Rouge uh, uh, every single week from here on out. So while I do think that it's fantastic that both Knicks and Hunter and this offense and, the, and everybody on – this team is moving along. I don't think that what we saw on Saturday is something that we're going to see every single game from here on out. And I just wanted to throw, to throw that out there. It's like, let's be realistic in our expectations. And I'm not saying anybody hasn't been. I'm just saying, I don't think we're going to see you. You don't, you don't beat LSU and Baton Rouge very often. And the way that Auburn did it, I think was somewhat of an anomaly, much like the way that uh, Auburn uh, barely beat Georgia state I think that uh, they, they played hard. They went out there and won, but it was an anomaly, and I don't think we're going to see Auburn have some wild performance like that again this season, and I'm just, try, I'm just trying to be realistic. I don't know if I'd say it was an anomaly. I, I, I will, I'll, 22 years worth of an anomaly. So first of all, I agree with you on that. We can't expect Bo Nix to pull off some of those Johnny Manziel-like plays for touchdowns, right? But – this isn't the first time that we've seen Bo Nix evading whole-scale pressure either. I mean, he's been doing this since his first game against Oregon on almost a gamely basis. You look back to the Texas A&M touchdown that he had last year where he had three players flip over his back at once. I know that's an exaggeration, but, I mean, he was swarmed by three or four of the best play, uh, three, four players from one of the best defenses last year in the country, and he, he snuck out of it and still scored a touchdown, you know? So, like, I don't think that we're seeing these things for the first time. I agree with you, though, in that we can't, expect those to be direct causes of victory on a week-to-week basis. And yes, it did feel like this past weekend against LSU was kind of peak Auburnness, right? Like there was something tangibly special about what Auburn did in Baton Rouge. But on the flip side, I think the statistics also kind of tell a different story about it being an anomaly because Auburn owned LSU in a lot of st- in a lot of statistical categories. If, if Auburn hadn't gotten out to such a slow start, 
would we be saying some of the things that we're saying right now about it kind of it, the fact that it went down to the wire makes you feel like makes you feel like there was there like that was some magic but at the end of the day for three quarters Auburn outscored LSU 24 to 6 and I I kind of look at it a little bit different I thought Auburn kind of turned a corner a little bit in that second quarter on and and I'm excited to see how this team continues to grow around the uh, the things that we saw on Saturday. Maybe this is just the confidence that they need. Maybe this is the monkey that needed to get off their back in order for them to take massive strides. You know what I mean? Maybe Auburn had some kind of LSU baggage, which I do think exists because you could go back and look at several seasons. 2018 is a year where I think the season was wrecked because you lost at home to LSU, you know? And um, so I, I, I think that that's, that's a layer of it that you have to look at as well as, you know, I'm not saying Auburn's, going to beat Georgia this week, and I'm not getting way way ahead of myself or anything like that, but I, I think Auburn played for three quarters really, really good football, and, and I, I think this LSU team is probably at this point, after looking across the league, um, LSU, Ole Miss, Arkansas, I think they're all in a, in a similar, I think they're all in a similar plane right now, and Auburn's also right there with those teams, because obviously they played LSU close. I wouldn't be shocked if LSU is still the third best team of the SEC West. I'm, I'm, I think LSU fans need to pump the brakes on firing Ed Orgeron at this point. You know, I mean, it is, it's just one game. <laughs> you know, I mean, they can still bounce back and beat Arkansas and Ole Miss and turn some things around too. So, I like, I like what we saw from Auburn. And um, I think another question that I want to ask you is this: If Bo Nix plays well against Georgia State, okay, and I know he didn't, but. And, and I've got a point to add on top of this, but let me ask you this. If Bo Nix played well against Georgia State and they did this against LSU, how was the narrative different? I want to say first, I think that I wasn't necessarily saying that this is, we're not going to see Auburn win another game this season. I'm saying this is an anomaly because it's the first time it's happened this century. And it took, I, it took like you said, it, it was peak Auburnness. It took magic to happen. And I'm just saying, I don't think we can expect that level of, of competition from Bo Nix for the rest of the year because it's, su- it's such a, a special occasion. And I, I, I do, I do want to give him credit. Like, so to answer your question, if he plays well in that Georgia State game, he plays well in this LSU game, I think everybody's still looking at him in a positive light. But at the same time, I think in the back of some Auburn fans' minds, they do still have that concern about, okay, which game is going to be the game that Bo Nix plays, plays on the opposite side of the spectrum, spectrum, right? Because you mentioned the A&M game, the Oregon game. You also have your Florida games, your South Carolina games, your Georgia game from 2020. I mean, there are times where Bo Nix will be up, and there are times where Bo Nix will be way, way down. So I think everybody is really positive and saying, man, this kid has really turned the t- corner if he plays well against Georgia State. But I think in, in the back of some, some fans' minds, they still think, is this really where we're at now? Because for 28, 29 games, we've not seen him consistently take the next step. And the thing that I wanted to add on top of that, and the reason why I asked you that question about the narrative, is you know, we saw him get hurt in the Penn State game, you know? What if the Georgia State game was that he wasn't a hundred percent? Very you know, much so. There are a lot of Auburn guys that are nicked up right now. You know that are not feeling a hundred percent at this point. I mean, you were without Papo and Moultrie and Canyon, and you know, is is Tank Bigsby a hundred percent at this point? It's Bo Nix even a hundred percent right now. I mean, he definitely looked a lot closer to it than I think we saw in the Georgia State game. And there were some throws that Jordan, that he was missing in the Georgia State game. That and I asked this question last week. I said, why did Bo Nix just like fall off of a cliff? 
going into this week. We have not seen him play this bad. I mean, he was missing some guys that some throws that he just never misses. Right. And yes, it is fair to say he's an inconsistent quarterback, but I think the narrative's different if he's not hurt and he plays in that Georgia state game and you get a good performance out of him, And then you see him do this against LSU. The narrative is that he's improving, that he's having fun, that he's focused, you know, I mean, there's <laughs> that, that he's getting better. That's the narrative. And that he just pulled off his, his best road victory and his only real significant road victory since he's been at Auburn. It's like, oh, is Bo Nix turning the corner? That is the narrative after this week if Georgia State didn't happen last week. And I said on the show this past week that I thought the Georgia State game was fluky, that it was on the flukier side of the spectrum. And um, I'm going to st- stick to that after what we saw on Saturday for Auburn against LSU. Now, with that being said, do I think Auburn beats Georgia this weekend? No, I don't, I don't think that. Do I think it's going to be competitive? Yes. Um, and, and I hope Auburn proves me wrong against Georgia. I really do. But I'm, um, I like Auburn's chances in pretty much every single one of their football games left on this schedule after what we saw this past weekend with the exception of Georgia and Alabama. Um, I still think it's very much so on the cards for, as I said last week, instead of Auburn beats LSU, I said, I said it's very much so still on the table for Auburn to do what I said in the preseason, which was 9-3, and 10-2, somewhere around there, which 10-2 I don't think will happen now since you lost to Penn State, but it's still very possible for Auburn to go 8-4, and 9-3 and three this year and hit a goal that I think Auburn needs to hit from a recruiting standpoint, from a prestige standpoint. Um, after what we saw from Arkansas and Ole Miss this past weekend, um, I'm, I think people should start pumping the brakes from some of these other teams around the league and, and maybe give a little bit more credit to Auburn. Is it fair to say that a healthy Bo Nix moving forward, uh, we should expect to see more progression out of him? Yes, I, I think so. And I mean, he took a huge step forward this past weekend. Everybody, like, the offensive line I thought played well against one of the better sack, like one of the better pass rushing and, and sack-laden defensive lines in the SEC. Um the, people are going to remember the place where he ran around for his life, but really that was only on like three or four occasions. He wasn't running for his life the whole ball game. He had some clean pockets and he stayed in. Footwork was a massive improvement for Bo Nix. He stayed in the pocket, kept his feet planted, and th- delivered some accurate footballs. He did, despite the completion percentage. Once again, I go back to the wide receivers didn't help him a whole lot in this ball game. They made some plays. John Samuel Shanker, man. Let's go. I mean, I'm, I'm pumped about this guy. We talked last week about the potential for him to be an NFL-type player. I think he continues to carve out that role for himself on this team. I mean, he's, he's the go-to guy right now. Auburn's leading passer is Bo Nix. Leading rusher is Jarquez Hunter. Leading receiver is John Samuel Shanker at this point in the year. In the year. Who thought of that was going to happen? I didn't. That's you know? awesome. And I, I know you didn't either. Nobody else did, you know. And so I think it is fair to say that Bo Nix isn't going to face another like super hostile, intimidating environment. And don't give me College Station. They just lost to Mississippi State. They lost to Mississippi State, guys. Like College Station's loud, but like they don't defend their home turf. They don't. Auburn wins there every time they go. Other teams do as well. It's it's just not that intimidating for teams. They've won there. Part of a place being intimidating is that you struggle to win there. You don't struggle to win in College Station. Outside of College Station, what's the most intimidating road environment Auburn's going to? Fayetteville? Okay. And so, like, I think you've put the, like, tough road environments behind you right now for Bo Nix. And honestly, he should be able to play comfortable from here out. I want to get to one more headline here real quick, and then we're going to go to break. And this is going to tie into our, our next segment about the AP Top 25 poll. The Clemson Tigers 
are out of the top 25 for the first time since November of 2014. They beat Boston College 19-13 to this weekend, uh, but, but a few teams replaced them there uh, at the bottom of the top 25. Yeah, Clemson looks bad right now, and they're obviously not taking steps forward. They almost lost to Boston College. I'm okay with giving some of these other teams a shot in the top 25 here. You got SMU, a new entrant into the poll. Texas is back. Arizona State is back. San Diego State is into the rankings. On our on-the-line poll last week that we had, um, I had Texas and Arizona State already back in the top 25, so I have no issues with those teams in. Basically, you're trying to justify with me are undefeated SMU or San Diego State teams better than Clemson at this point. And I do think that both of those teams, if, if San Diego State and Clemson played right now, I would pick San Diego State. If SMU and Clemson played right now, I don't know because SMU's defense isn't very good, so maybe Clemson would still be able to score against them, and I think the Clemson defense is still fantastic. So would, would Clemson beat SMU? Probably, but could SMU also shock them? Yes. I mean, like, the fact that it's that it, that, that those are questions that we can, that we can actually sit here and debate – uh, Clemson doesn't deserve to be in the top 25. And on the other side of this break, we're going to continue to look at the AP top 25. You're listening to On the Line. You're on the line with Lance Gall and Noah Gardner on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Going to take a look at this AP top 25 poll. We teased it going into break. We were talking about Clemson officially out of the top 25 for the first time since 2014. Want to run through the poll, give some of our thoughts, some of our impressions. There was a lot of shuffling after nine top 25 teams lost this weekend. Going to go ahead and go through the poll right here. Number one, number two, obviously Alabama and Georgia. Iowa moved up two spots to number three. Penn State stayed at number four. Cincinnati, after beating Notre Dame, thank you, somebody, for beating Notre Dame, moved up to number five. Oklahoma stayed at number six. Ohio State moved up four spots to number seven after beating Rutgers. Never have I seen a team move up so high after beating Rutgers. Oregon moved down five spots to number eight after losing in overtime, or it might have been double, double overtime, to Stanford. Michigan moved up five spots to number nine. BYU moved up three spots to number 10. Michigan State at 11. Oklahoma State beat Baylor. They're up to 12. Arkansas moved down to 13 after getting obliterated by backup quarterback Stetson Bennett and company at Georgia. Notre Dame moved down five spots to number 14. They may not be in my top 25 poll on the line this week. Number 15, Coastal Carolina. Number 16, Kentucky. They are 5-0. and They will be playing at home against LSU this weekend. Could be one of the first teams to just straight up get to bowl eligibility. Would not have guessed Kentucky through six games of the season. At number 17, we have Ole Miss after they lost to Alabama. Auburn moved up four spots to number 18. Wake Forest is still up undefeated there at number 19. Florida dropped 10 spots to 20. They are 3-2 and two on the season. Texas is back in the top 25. They're at 21. Arizona State at 22. NC State at 23. SMU at 24. And San Diego State at 25 Noah any strong disagreements with the AP top 25 here uh Auburn should be 17 and Ole Miss should be 18 just because I want to be that guy I concur I agree yeah I'm right there with you what has Ole Miss done compared to Auburn Auburn's four and one Ole Miss is three and one Auburn just beat LSU on the road Ole Miss beat Louisville in a neutral site game whose resume is more impressive and Auburn Auburn lost by eight to a top 10 team top 14 Ole Miss lost by 21 
Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. Look at Auburn, and I, I know that you can't put a ton of stock in quality losses, right? But I do want to throw out there that Auburn has beaten LSU, like you just mentioned, and then lost on the road to the current number four team in the nation by eight. They were thrown for the end zone at the end of that game. They had a shot to win it, and there were some some interesting things that happened late that kind of didn't go in their favor. But still, yeah, Auburn over Ole Miss, I agree with you. And the, the back end of the poll, too, like Wake Forest jumping up five spots. I was a little disappointed with Wake Forest this weekend. They had a chance to make a statement, and they only beat Louisville by three, and they were lucky to win that game. I think there was a last-second score there to give Wake Forest the win. I'm going to go back and check the drive chart there that led them to victory Yes, um, they scored with, I believe, a total of 22 seconds left. That was Wake Forest got up 37 to 34 with 22 seconds left to beat Louisville. And I still don't – I think Louisville has improved since we saw them play against Ole Miss, but I'm still – I was expecting Wake Forest to make a statement. They didn't. Was that justification for them to move up five spots? If I asked you who wins, Wake Forest or Florida, who are you taking? Florida. Wake Forest or Texas, who are you taking? Uh, Texas. Wake Forest or Arizona State, who are you taking? Uh, Arizona State. You know, and, and and those are three teams that are behind Wake Forest directly in the polls. I don't think Wake Forest did enough to get inside the top 20. I still like this Wake Forest team. I'm still really hoping. Now that Georgia Tech got annihilated by Pittsburgh, now I'm hoping that it's a Wake Forest-Pittsburgh ACC championship game. I really am. I'm hoping that that can occur. Um, but... Wake Forest hasn't done enough for me to get inside the top 20. But once again, I'm nitpicking here. Um, Also, folks have to consider how polls are made. Some people may be thinking, why is Ohio State ahead of Oregon? A poll is just a ton of people voting. And then they, you know, because they rank the teams. And then that's essentially a vote. And then you get a certain amount of points for each spot in the rankings. And then they compile how many points each of the teams have. And then they rank them based off of the point system. Well, that's how Oregon is behind Ohio State at at this juncture because enough people decided that Oregon losing to Stanford was enough to drop them in the rankings. And it just so happens that they end up behind Ohio state. That's just by nature of the beast. Um, I, I Oregon beat Ohio state. So obviously that would be something that I would switch, but these aren't power rankings. These are polls. So I'm not mad at the poll. I think it's, I think it's what we've got at this point to go off of college football's just been that bad this year outside of the top two teams in the country. Is Oklahoma State the 12th best team in the nation? And I mean, I, I know that they've beaten two top 25 teams in back-to-back weeks, but I just don't know if they're if they're top 12 right now. Well, let's look at the teams behind them. Um, compared to your typical 12th best team in the country, probably not. But you compare them up to some of the other teams, I think that if they played Arkansas, it'd be a fun football game. I don't know if they would get... I don't know if they would win, but I think it's a fun game. I don't think they'd get pushed around like Texas did. Um, I don't think Texas would get pushed around like Texas did if they played them again. I think nine out of the ten times if Arkansas and Texas played with Casey Thompson as the quarterback, it would be a really fun football game, and I would give Texas a, a you know a fifty percent chance to win uh, across those across those matchups. You know, I think that that could be a coin toss. Uh, but after that, if Oklahoma State played Notre Dame, I, I think Oklahoma State could beat Notre Dame. I think if Oklahoma State played Coastal Carolina, I think Oklahoma State could win. Oklahoma State, Kentucky, I think would be fun. Oklahoma State, Ole Miss. So comparatively speaking, not your typical top 12 team, but neither is college football. Rolling on here on the Monday edition of On the Line. We'll be back in just a moment. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
30 minutes met left in the uh, Monday edition of On the Line. Lance Dahl, Noah Gardner here with you. Intern Sting behind the controls. Talking over the break about how awesome an Oklahoma State-Kentucky New Year's Six Bowl would be. And I got to say, that would be an absolute thriller. Want to talk about this Auburn offensive line here for a second. I said earlier in the show that I thought they were playing, they were punching above their weight classes. What Noah said, I thought I said I thought they were playing really well as opposed to what they were doing last season. And uh, in moving forward, I think this offensive line is going to be just fine. But this weekend, uh, it, it may be uh, an issue for Auburn. I don't, you know, maybe, maybe. But uh, they did hold LSU to zero sacks and only two tackles for loss in Death Valley. LSU had the most sacks and the most tackles for loss coming into this week, and they blanked them. They kept them out of the backfield. You know, Johnny Manziel LSU will do that to you. Up front. Johnny Manziel will do that to you for sure. Yeah, but it's not like he was doing it all night long. We're going to remember those plays. They stand out. But it's not like he, he did that on like three or four occasions. Um, and, and every, and I, I want, I hope my quarterback can do that. Cause I think it's a, I think it's a lot to ask an offensive line, any offensive line to keep a team completely out of your backfield. You know, JT Daniels wishes he could scramble around like Bo Nix, you know, that maybe he wouldn't be on the injury report right now. Uh, which I hate that for that guy, by the way, I, I, that's not me taking the dig. I hope, I hope he gets healthy. You know, I don't want to see anybody hurt out there, but like, seriously though, I mean, like this, these, this offensive line played really well on Saturday. Incredible. And Georgia's looking really good on defense right now, jarring to see what they're doing to teams. But they also haven't really, you know, I, I just, I'm not impressed by the slate of teams that they've played. I've been saying for a while, just wait for Arkansas's bubble to get burst. And it's finally happened. And then is that A&M game even that impressive anymore to say Arkansas beat them 20 to 10? Congrats. Mississippi State just beat them, you know? At this point, I'm wondering if A&M is going to finish last. And then I go back to what I said last uh, last segment about Texas. I, I think that game goes completely different if Casey Thompson's the starting quarterback. Sarkeesian failed Texas in week two. And since then, I think things are going well for Texas this, at this point. Will they lose some more games this year because of that defense? Yes. But the offense was the problem in that game against Arkansas. Um, I, I, I didn't. 37-0 to is impressive. That Georgia defense is great. But at home, I, these guys can be up for the challenge. I, I, I think if they can protect, you know, about eighty percent uh, as well as they did this past weekend against LSU, Bo Nix is going to have time, some time to throw, and it's going to come down to these receivers making plays. Well, that should be where you should really be concerned. Let me ask you this, and I'm not asking you to to, uh, to pick this game on Monday. If Stetson Bennett is out there playing and JT Daniels is still hurt and the offensive line does fine, how do you think this game goes? And all, you talk about Auburn's offensive line is still fine? Yes. Like Auburn's O-line plays well? If Auburn's O-line is fine and Bo Nix is fine, if Stetson Bennett starts for Georgia and plays the entire game, how does Saturday go? It's going to be a really good ball game. And I just winked behind my uh, audio <laughs> call on Skype. Okay, it's going to be a really good ball game. I, I'm, not, I'm not getting ahead of myself here, and I, I do not think Auburn wins on Saturday, but um, Auburn got better against LSU. They dominated for three quarters, 24 to six over three quarters, and won that ball game 24 to 19. For whatever reason, they weren't ready to go at the beginning, but they got in there and they they played really well. And um, that's a big ta- that that is a big ask of this offensive line to play well against that defensive line led by Jordan Davis, who is just an absolute monster. You know, 
um, just disassembling offensive linemen on, on a weekly basis. But they've played Vanderbilt, South Carolina, and UAB outside of playing Arkansas and Clemson. And I mean, honestly, yes, I'm going to go ahead and say this. I'm going to include Clemson in there. They've played Clemson, UAB, Vanderbilt, South Carolina. That's going to prop your statistics up with the way all four of those offenses have played this year. UAB got destroyed by Liberty this past week. Liberty is not known for their defense. Not known for their defense. I mean, their numbers are a little embellished because of this uh, because of the schedule they played. And you and I have talked about this at large as well. We said that this was a bad matchup for Arkansas. They can't throw. They cannot throw. They just can't. They were seven for uh, KJ Jefferson was seven for fifteen against Texas A and M. We knew that Arkansas would get destroyed if they tried to line up and play football against Georgia, and that's all they can do because they can't throw. And what happened? They got destroyed. Georgia's defense is legit. It is. But I think both on the offensive side and the defensive side, the numbers are skewed a little bit. Before we get into breaking down some of these games, I want to ask you, considering we're, we're already here right now, you mentioned to Jeremy off-air earlier that you were like, well, what happens if Auburn beats Georgia on Saturday? No, really. What does the college football world look like if Auburn manages to pull one off in Jordan-Hare Stadium against Georgia on Saturday? What do you think the college football landscape looks like? Uh, well, I think you, you all of a sudden people stop saying that it's a foregone conclusion that Alabama and Georgia are going to the national championship. We stop, we start talking about college football that way. Now all of a sudden it's wide open because people know what uh, an Iron Bowl and Jordan Hare Stadium looks like. They do, and just go back to the fact that Auburn's won there the last two times. You know, Auburn's got a little bit of a home streak against Alabama at this point. And once again, I don't want people to think that I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, but. You ask a fun hypothetical question that we want to dive into. If that happens, college football is it's anybody's game at that point. And Auburn better be ranked higher than eighth. They better be ranked higher than eighth if that happens because the way that everybody's talking about Georgia right now and the fact that Arkansas was ranked eighth, the, the eighth this past week, you better rank Auburn higher than eighth if they beat Georgia this weekend. Oh, I'm putting them Don't at three. Don't give me that garbage. I'll, you put, know? I'll put them at three. I'll, 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 I'll put them at three. I'll put them in the top four. <laughs> I'm not saying put them that high because they did lose to Penn State, but you know you better you better jump Auburn up the poles. It better be a massive climb wanna if get, that happens. Want to get to some overarching thoughts here from the weekend, where we were right, where we were wrong in different games. I'm just gonna go out, go ahead and come out and say it. I was wrong about the LSU Auburn game. Shame on me for picking LSU to win. Uh, I told but, you, Lance. But you you sit you told me he was like, man, you're gonna be changing your tune about this team come uh, come Monday afternoon, where we're gonna be talking about an Auburn win. And I said, I hope it happens. I just don't know if it will. And sure enough, Auburn was able to go out there and prove me wrong. Well, I was wrong about the quarterback situation at Auburn. Did I? Uh, so I'll say that. But I was right about the pick. I picked Auburn to win on Friday, and. Um, so I was happy to see that I was right about that. So that was an area where I was right. I was also kind of wrong there, too, about the quarterback situation. An area where I was heinously wrong this past week. I said Maryland would upset Iowa on Friday. That was anything but true. And it looks like this Maryland team is no different than the Maryland teams before them. I think Maryland can go to a bowl game this year. I think they're good enough to do that based on their remaining schedule and the fact that they are they're a better football team, but they're still not good enough to compete with the best teams on their schedule Talia Tungavaloa is still a turnover machine. Six against Iowa. I was wrong on that game, and I'll also say I was wrong for basically the entire last segment of Friday's show. If we didn't do picks in the final segment of the show, I would have been like 8-2 and two or something stupid like that. Kentucky lost to Florida. I picked that game wrong. Oklahoma State beat Baylor. I picked that game wrong. A&M lost. 
Uh, Auburn lost. Arizona State won. UCLA lost. The only game that I got right in the final seg- uh, segment was uh, Clemson over Boston College, and even then that didn't really feel like a win for either team. Uh, so, yeah, I will, I will be willing to admit picks this weekend, 9-7, and seven, was not the best for me. Also picked that Maryland-Iowa upset incorrectly. Also did not see Tennessee coming out of nowhere and dropping 62 on Missouri. I know that defense is bad, but, whoa, that was unexpected for me. That gets Tennessee back into the realm where they could go to a bowl game, and I know we'll touch on that later or in just a few moments, rather, with some Saturday takeaways. But I'll go with one more, uh, a couple other teams here that I was right about this week or a couple other games that I was right about, and then we'll get to Saturday takeaways. But we were both right on Cincinnati. For a while, I was sweating that because it took a while for these two teams to disengage from each other and actually put points on the scoreboard. But we were right about Cincinnati. I still don't think they've done enough to get to the college football playoff if they're undefeated. But with all of the carnage around college football, they just may get a shot. The Big Ten's looking great to get a team in. The SEC's going to get two in. The question is, do you put a group of five team in as the fourth team, or do you put a Pac-12 team that maybe has one loss, if that's even possible, or an ACC team that ends up one loss? Like, how does it shake out from here out, or, or do we want to throw three SEC teams in? <laughs> I mean, I, I, that, that, I, there's just been so much carnage everywhere that teams are, and I forget, Oklahoma's still you know undefeated. I, I don't know why I've thrown them out of the realm of possibility. So it, it's going to come down to a group of five team and then someone that is in a power five conference that we don't like very much. It's it, it, plenty and simple. It's going to come down to like Cincinnati, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. Ohio State and Oklahoma are both going to be like one loss and then Cincinnati's going to be undefeated, and we're going to have some really tough decisions to make. I will say, let's not call Cincy a group of five team. Let's call them future Big 12 team Cincinnati <laughs> making the playoff. Uh, yeah, and I want to say about this Notre Dame team, uh, we, we've been I'll say we've been right about this. We've not been uh, high on Notre Dame, but I will say I was right. This team's not good. Their quarterback situation is dire right now. It was 17 to nothing Cincinnati at the half. Uh, th- this uh, Cincinnati team, like you said, if they go undefeated, I don't know whether or not they'll make the college football playoff, but they're in the best position a group of five team has ever been. Oh, I'm sorry, future Big 12 team has ever been. Um, but this Notre Dame team, I want to say we were kind of right. I think a lot of people were kind of right. They're just not very good. It snapped a really long home winning streak for them, for the Fighting Irish, and I just don't think that this team gets out of the regular season with this being their lone loss. I think they lose two or three more. They could lose next week. They play Virginia Tech on the road, and Notre Dame's favored by one and a half, but Virginia Tech has the defense to really mess up that Notre Dame offense. They don't know what's going on at quarterback. I know Jack Cohn left the game with an injury last week. Notre Dame's averaging 30.8 points per game, but are they really? Because of what happened at the end of that Wisconsin game with the with the pick sixes, only scored 27 on Purdue, 32 on Toledo, 41 on a really bad Florida State team. They haven't played anybody. They haven't played any good defenses. Virginia Tech's a great defense. They're not just a good defense. They are a great defense. 15.3 points allowed per game. They only give up 190 passing yards. 190 passing yards? I don't know if Notre Dame's going to touch that. I, I don't know if they're combined. However many touch the football for Notre Dame this upcoming Saturday, I don't know if they're going to touch 190 yards. That, that That's how bad the passing game is right now for Notre Dame at the quarterback position against some of the better defenses that they've played up to this point. And so Virginia Tech, I think, has got a really good shot to try and say, hey, we deserve to be ranked. Bring us back. Don't forget about us. 
We know we, we, we know we dropped some games that we shouldn't have. We know we dropped a game that we shouldn't have a couple of weeks ago to West Virginia, but Virginia Tech's still undefeated in the ACC 1-0 in the Coastal, and it's still very possible that Virginia Tech could. You look at the rest of the schedule. This is Virginia Tech's schedule, all right? Notre Dame at home. Pittsburgh at home, which should be a fun game in a couple of weeks. That's on October 16th. Syracuse at home. Georgia Tech on the road. Boston College on the road. Duke at home, Miami on the road, and Virginia on the road. Tell me why Virginia Tech can't win out. It's possible. I think it's possible, and you know who I'm picking uh, for the uh, Notre Dame-Virginia Tech game. You already know. Uh, I want to get to one of our Saturday takeaways here real quick before we head to break, and then we'll wrap up the show on the other side of it. But this kind of ties in hand-in-hand with another thing that I was just straight up just wrong on. I said if this game for Alabama and Ole Miss was in Oxford, that I would probably take Ole Miss to win. And uh, and on Saturday, we saw Alabama just run away in, in a game where it was kind of obvious from the get-go. Ole Miss's defense, and I think there, I think their defense is improved. I disagree. I think this Ole Miss team's better than it was last year. I think the defense is slightly improved, but they were not going to be able to slow down Alabama. Like I said earlier, it was kind of like Kiffin's, like okay, we can either stop them in two and a half minutes, or we can stop them in six or seven minutes. It's just pick our poison. We know at the end of the day, eventually Alabama is going to score. We're delaying the inevitable. Let's go ahead and try and be aggressive. Let's get those points up on the board because we're not going to win this game with field goals. And Alabama controlled the ground game, controlled the clock, and just ran away with it in a really impressive effort, I feel like, on both sides of the football. Ole Miss is marginally better this year. I I, I believe that. But is that enough to really make a difference in some of their key ball games this year, such as Auburn and Arkansas coming up, a team that they did lose to last year, Arkansas. They also lost to Auburn. Is that enough to make a big difference? I think that right right now those are going to be fantastic football games, and I'm looking forward to it. But they play Arkansas this week. That's going to be a tough one. And I think Arkansas it could line up in the trenches and push Ole Miss around. My thing is, it was 35-0 to zero at halftime, right? Or 28-0, to whatever it was. It was 35-0 to zero at one point. If Alabama didn't let off the gas like they did last year, they couldn't let off the gas last year, right? Because Ole Miss was keeping up with them step for step. And this year, that, that didn't happen. So maybe, maybe you know, the Ole Miss defense is a little bit better. Maybe the Ole Miss offense isn't as good by a little bit because they did lose some wide receivers that were phenomenal from last year's team. But I uh, stand by this. If Alabama hadn't let off the gas – what would the score have been? How bad could it have been, right? Last year, the offense couldn't let off the gas because it was back and forth. And the Alabama defense was significantly worse last season at the time that these two teams played. So kind of, and, and this is a little apples and oranges because it's last season to this season, but if Alabama had wanted to, they could have scored 70 here. So I'm still waiting on more information from Ole Miss, which will come this week. They play Arkansas this week at home. 11 a.m. ESPN, if Arkansas shoves these guys around, just throws them around in the trenches, does what they did to them against Texas, I'll probably buy a little bit more stock in Arkansas, and I will completely abandon hope for Ole Miss this year because that defense will get pushed around by Tennessee next week, who now looks like they can they figured out what they're doing on offense. LSU should be able to put up some points. Whether or not they'll win that game, I don't know. Auburn should be able to run the ball on the ground. Liberty's going to be a fun game later on. I mean, they've got a stretch of five games right here for Ole Miss where it's, it's going to kind of make or break your perception of this team. Guess what the line is for Arkansas Ole Miss, my man? Uh, 
I will say I will say Arkansas two and a half. Oh, buddy, you are wrong. Ole Miss six and a half. Wow. Dang. Six and a half. Now, Grant, you get three for being at home, but still six and a half is what Ole Miss is favorite at right now. Monday. Will that change? I don't know. But uh, I think it's going to be a really good game. And honestly, I don't think either. I don't think we're going to leave this game. It's going to be close. And I don't think we're going to leave this game thinking very highly of either of these teams. I think you're going to start to see some of the deficiencies that each of these teams have. It's going to be fleshed out on film. You're going to see some areas where Ole Miss is going to be able to pinpoint some of what Arkansas does out on the perimeter. You're going to be able to see how Arkansas handles athletes in this game. Georgia didn't try and do that. Georgia lined up on the on the football and said, we're going to push you around. So I think that you could see that if Ole Miss isn't, or if, if Arkansas is not as good as somebody up front, they can lose that way. Can Ole Miss beat Arkansas with their athletes? If that's true, then we know that there's another way to beat Arkansas, right? On the flip side, can Ole Miss stop somebody up front? Because Arkansas's front seven on defense and Arkansas's offensive line is not as good as some of the other teams that Ole Miss could play in the SEC, such as in Auburn. I think our, Auburn's offensive line has played just as well as Arkansas's has at this point. Auburn has given up three sacks this year total. Three. That's great. That is so good. So I, I just, I don't know. I think we're going to leave that game feeling a little underwhelmed by both of these teams and maybe thinking, maybe backtracking a little bit on some of the stuff that nationally people have been like, oh, these two teams are awesome. And the line I just looked at opened at four and it's grown to six and a half for Ole Miss again. Like you said, I think we're going to find a lot of different things out about those two teams in that matchup. On the other side of this break, we will wrap up the show. You're listening to On the Line. Wrapping up our number two of On the Line, Lance Dawn, Noah Gardner here with you, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Been a fun so- show so far, and if you've missed any of it, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. It'll be up in about half an hour. Got a few minutes left here on the Monday edition of On the Line. Want to continue our Saturday takeaways, just get to a couple of games as fast as we can here. Kentucky, victors over Florida, first time in 35 years. Did have the Wildcats won in Lexington over Florida. And I'll be honest with you, Kentucky's kind of played to the level of their competition so far this season. And I feel like in this game, it was more about Florida's issues than it was about the fact that Kentucky was just a world beater team. It felt like Florida had the opportunity to win this game and the offense just kind of fell short, and they had a blocked field goal return for a touchdown. It's just a lot of miscues on the Florida side of the ball. Is Kentucky the first non-triple option-based team to win a football game with only 87 passing yards? <laughs> Might be. Uh, and the, bu- the bubble will burst for Kentucky at some point. I could see Tennessee beat them. I could see Georgia's going to smash them. The, the, I mean, LSU could beat them this weekend. I think the LSU-Kentucky game is going to be very fun. That line, three points favorite Kentucky. But it goes LSU, Georgia, Mississippi State, Tennessee. I could see any one of those four teams beating them. Yep. I could see a lot of those four teams beating them. I mean, this season could go south really quickly for UK if they can't figure out the passing game. Will Levis, eight TDs, six picks this year. Really hasn't been a consistent brand of their uh, part of their offense. And that's, and that's why they're playing to the level of their competition because they can't throw. It doesn't matter who it is. They only scored 16 on South Carolina. It doesn't matter who it is. They can't throw. And uh, after week one, we all thought they could. They can't. And they've got a good defense. They've got a good running game. But eventually, the rushing attack will suffer because they can't throw the football. 
and you can begin to say that it's already happening, I think this loss is let. I think this win is less about Kentucky winning it, more about Florida losing it. Florida had ample opportunity after ample opportunity to put it away, to to be able to extend this thing out, and then they got a field goal blocked and it got sent back to the house. Florida should not have lost this game. This is on them. This is a massive failure by that football team. And we're going to continue to talk about what happened over the weekend. A lot of college football games that we did not get to today. We'll get the, to uh, to them tomorrow. But that's going to do it for the Monday edition of On the Line. Again, we'll see you all tomorrow to talk some more college football, previewing Auburn versus Georgia here in a few days. We'll see you guys then.